Okay, welcome everybody to this afternoon's happy hour at Dhammaloka Center. <laughs> Call it happy hour because that's an accurate description of what meditation is when we do it properly. But I make the announcement again that uh, this is the ongoing meditation class usually taught by one of the monks or nuns. And we do also have the introduction to meditation class, which is being held in the room uh, to my right, as you come in here past the reception area, the first room. That is being taught uh, the first, uh, this uh, December by Jeff. Very good teacher, very good friend. So if you come for the introduction to meditation class, that is the room just next to us, just uh, on the other side of that wall. But don't go through the wall to get there, go outside and turn right and you'll find the, the room adjacent to us. And in the meantime, uh, now is the opportunity to learn some more about meditation and just how it can relax us and to see what happens when the mind stays in this moment and stops thinking and relaxes to the max. I coined that term, relax to the max, because that not only gives you an idea of what happens in meditation, but it also about how to reach those uh, lovely states of meditation, where you feel like ultra relaxed, not just bodily, but also mentally, emotionally as well. So the two coming to be quite peaceful and calm. And the way that uh, Ajahn Chah, he was my teacher when I was a young monk, would actually teach it. He said that your mind is like the leaf on a tree. And the simile always comes up because where I'm looking, I can see all the leaves on the trees outside and on the bushes. There's a bit of a wind outside, so I can actually see all those leaves on the trees and the bushes all moving. And he said that's like the human mind. It's always moving, never knows stillness because something's always blowing it, making it move. And if that wind stopped, then all the leaves on all the trees would still move, but less and less and less and less, until once the, you know, through friction, once uh, that momentum is lost, then all the leaves on all the trees would be perfectly still, because that is their nature to be still. It's their default state to be still. It only moves because something outside of it makes it move. And he always used to say that's the same as a human mind. Your mind only moves because something makes it move. What makes it move is like wanting, controlling, trying to figure things out, trying to do something. All those movements of the mind, all those sort of desires, wants, activities of the mind, that's what makes it move. And if we could only stop that for a short while, if we could let go, let things be, then you'll find it's like the wind stops. And after a short while, the momentum of the mind gets used up and your mind becomes perfectly still, all by itself. You don't do it. You let it happen. And that's a, such an important part of meditation. 
because a lot of times we feel that meditation is something we have to do. Put forth effort, put forth willpower, put forth all the, the bank of skillful means which you have learned in your life, how to focus, how to concentrate. But it's nothing like that at all. The meditation works when we learn how to let things be and be patient enough not to disturb anything. And then the mind becomes perfectly still all by itself. Because it's like a default state of the mind, once the mind is reasonably still, our job is just to guard it, to make sure that nothing interferes with it, to be aware enough you don't go picking it up or moving it. The old simile of the water which is perfectly still. Sometimes when the water is still, a lot of times, this is only a metaphor, you say, is it still yet? No, it's not. When you're going to be still, come on, and you actually keep disturbing it. There's a great deal of patience required in meditation, just to leave things alone, observe, and just allow the mind to become more and more still. And what happens when it starts to become still? Well, number one, the energy of your mind starts to increase. You're not wasting it on other things. So the energy gets stronger and stronger inside your mind. It's like the mind has its own source of energy. You don't have to plug it into a PowerPoint. Uh, your energy keeps growing and growing. And that appears in the mind like the awareness becomes stronger. The kindness becomes stronger. The awareness becomes stronger. Very often in meditation retreats, where people spend more time meditating than uh, their normally daily schedule. And when they do, you get these amazing experiences. They're just normal experiences, but if you're not used to them, become really fantastic, where you really start to become aware. I often say this, that on retreats, if you're on a meditation retreat, doesn't matter what the food is and who the cook is, the food always starts to taste really delicious. Nothing to do with the cook, nothing to do with the type of food, everything to do with your senses become much more, I suppose, cleansed and alert. So you can pick up more uh, taste. And whatever you see becomes more beautiful. The sky at night becomes incredibly gorgeous. Everything seems to be like all polished and brightened up. It's like the happiness which comes from meditation because your senses are kind of cleansed and clean and much more pure. That is one of the things which happen in meditation, which is one of the reasons why I said at the beginning, this is like happy hour at, Bodhinya, at uh, Nolamara Dhammaloka Buddhist Center. But when that starts to become happy, just you love doing the meditation. Sometimes here, the 40, 45 minutes meditation we do, is kind of not long enough. Sometimes you'd love to carry on for another hour or so. Simply because the body is tranquil, actually you can't hardly feel it, and the mind is bright and energized. What is going on there? You've learned how to focus effortlessly. Because it's effortless, effortless, 
That's why it's easy to maintain for a long period of time. You're not wasting energy, you're actually building energy. And that's also one of the reasons after a, a good meditation, when you come out afterwards, it's like you've just been empowered. Like you, you know, if you want to do an exam, as many people do this time of the year, your mind is very bright and clear and you can answer those questions really easy. If you have to write an essay or, or something for work, you, your brain is very, very clear. <laughs> I love telling these stories because they're, okay, they're personal stories because they're personal, I know that how true they are. Have you ever written a book in your life? The first book which I wrote, The Opening the Door of Your Heart, I was only forced to do it because somebody else threatened to do it and they were a terrible writer. So anyway, I wrote that book. The first half of it was done just one hour a day over 14 days, a meditation retreat I was doing. I gave myself one hour every day, kind of recreation, to write by hand the script for Opening the Door of Your Heart, the book. It has become a very good bestseller in many countries, especially in Germany. But anyway, I've got the original manuscript. It's over in my room in Serpentine. And every now and again, you look at that. This is what meditation does. You just write it down. And there's hardly any crossings out, any mistakes. And the reason is because it was done after I was meditating, during a meditation retreat. Didn't take much time at all. 14 hours for half a book. And I gave myself a break and then did the other half a few weeks later. So easy to do and so clear and so powerful. Simply because your energy has been just increased after nice meditation. And I don't know how many people, I'm just going this far today, how many people are always tired? Yeah, why are you tired? It's because it's not you working too much, because we all have to work a lot in our current world, even monks. <laughs> Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. We all have to work hard. But it's like how we work. And even you can get a lot of work done with hardly any stress, of high quality, of good quality. It's one of the reasons why I love telling stories of uh, very, very smart CEOs. There's one CEO years ago, he was running the CEO of the Oriental Hotel over in Bangkok. That's a very, very top hotel. And it's, I think it won the Hotel of the Year Award that year. And there was an article, an interview with the manager. How did you get Hotel of the Year Award you know, in the whole world? And he said, because every, every year he sends every employee of that hotel, from the one who cleans the toilet to the head chef, everybody to a monastery to meditate for a week at the firm's expense. It's not taken off your holidays. You have to go, it doesn't matter what religion you are. It's not, meditation is not that sort of uh, specific to Buddhism. Any person, you go there, 
you get a week in a meditation center to do some meditation. And he found clearly, that especially in the hotel, that everybody was so much more sensitive to the, the clients. They had much more energy, much more kindness and sensitivity when they were cooking and when they were serving, when they were cleaning the rooms. They were just much more alert, happy, joyful, much more of a pleasure to serve their clients. And they didn't take so much time off work for sickness. And the guy said, I'm not sort of trying to convert people to being Buddhist, I'm not an evangelist. This is just really good business sense. And when I read that, I was sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And sometimes people understand and they do this. And it makes such a much more wonderful world. So anyway, this is what happens when a person, when you do do some meditation. You may be tired now, but if you had to work this evening, you know, at five o'clock or whatever, you'll find after a nice meditation, oh, you can go and do whatever work you're doing, and you find if you're like driving a bus, you're really kind to all the people who come onto your bus, and you never have any sort of accidents or crashes, and you do your work so well without getting too exhausted. One of the troubles with exhaustion is, you know, we're just already tired, we work, we push ourselves, got no time to rest, and we get even more exhausted. And to me, that's an important problem in our world. I say, that's what I say, that things like cancers come from. You know, because people are physically stressed. And after a while, they're so tight. If I keep my robe like this, see how like, loose monk's robes are? There's a purpose to that. It's nice and loose, just like our mind is nice and loose. We don't sort of stretch. If I kept stretching this robe like this all the time, it will soon tear. It'll break. You keep it nice and loose, it lasts a long time. It's got no stress. It maintains its resilience. And there's no problem there at all. Even, well, going off the point here, but even like COVID. I've never had COVID. Sometimes I wonder why, because I associate with people a lot in front of people, talking to them, and, and all over the world. But then what happens is that if you do have any infections coming inside of you, I'm sure the bugs have been in me, but they can't find a hold. It's like when you're nice and loose, if something hits it, you can't hear any noise. If something which is solid and hard, you can hear that noise. That's my explanation of resilience. If you're soft and relaxed and loose, something hits you, you don't bruise. If you're tight, stressed, you're so tight, anything hits you, you can hear a loud noise, like the guitar string. When it's loosened up, things can hit it, no noise at all. Tight, bing, and it makes a loud noise, it reacts. It's the same with your human body. The more you can relax, be at peace, have no tightness or stress inside you at all, even though you work a lot, you tend not to get sick. Anyway, that's my theory. It certainly works for me. And 
I always like to share it with others as well. But nevertheless, this is what happens with meditation, learning how to relax, learning how to let go. Even just one of the first things which we'll teach in the meditation, the past and the future, let them go. You've heard that so many times all over the place. It's basically a common teaching now. How can you let go of the past and future? You know how much a burden it is. Why? Imagine, just imagine this person with this huge, two heavy backpacks on, not just one, but two backpacks on. And they're climbing up this very steep hill, which is as muddy as treacle. And just even just stepping up and moving their foot forward and moving it down again. Oh, it is just such a, a hard effort just for one step. And it's a steep hill and they're carrying two heavy backpacks and they look at those backpacks and in one of them is all of their past and the other one is all their worries of the future. Oh my goodness, I don't know how they can survive trying to climb up the hill. And then they're trying to climb up the hill and then they look and this monk just dances past them, just happy, I was going to say whistling a happy tune, we're not allowed to whistle as monks. So a nice sort of happy monk telling a few jokes as he goes past and just goes right up the hill. He's not particularly fit, but he's free of burdens. Which would you love to be? <laughs> so if you can be someone who's put down all their past and all their future and you can relax to the max, of course you go through life so much more easy, so much more productive. And whatever you see, whatever you feel, you enjoy much more. You get much more value out of your life. So then when we know how to let go, those are the results. And this is what we practice in this meditation. How we can let go. Okay, so I better actually do some meditation talk now. So, yeah, I now invite you to please assume your meditation posture. Excellent. Sometimes I kind of worry when people are on the chairs and they're leaning too far forward. Sometimes I think they need the seat belts on <laughs> so they don't fall off. It wouldn't be that hard actually to get seat belts on our, on our chairs. Anyway, not today. So, so please get yourself comfortable. Close the eyes. And this is something really enjoyable meditation. I look forward to it. It just, the joy, the interest is too powerful to let you fall asleep. So as usual, I found it effective and useful to start by relaxing my body. This body is getting old now, so it's not getting old, it is old. And it's nice to be able to sit comfortably the first thing I do when I 
begin my meditation is develop mindfulness on my body. Not just on the whole body, that's too much and too complicated. Parts of my body. Starting with something like my toes. When I say this, my toes, I often tell people, I might have told you last week, I can't remember, it's just so much has happened since last week. And of course you let go of the past. So, I never thought you could be really sensitive to your toes. Fingertips, yes, nose maybe, yes. But your fingertips. So I really get to be nicely aware of my fingertips. Of my, uh, my toes. When I'm aware of my toes, if there's a bit dull feeling, I will wiggle my toes to start to get my attention there. And the next thing I do, once mindfulness has been, as they say, established there, then I add the kindness. To me, the kindness is asking my toes, how are you? And what I, the feedback which I get back, I act upon. Try and make sure that the toes are as comfortable as they possibly can. That nothing is squashing them. If there's anything which itchy there, I'll scratch it. Making sure each one of the toes is in comfort. So it can relax. And when I develop that on my toes, then when I go to the next part of my body, which is my feet, you've already started developing this attitude of being aware and being kind. And when I look at things like my feet, moving them doesn't seem to do very much to add to the comfort of them, but just checking on them. And as I'm aware, I'm aware of the uppers on my left foot right now. It's weird. As soon as I'm aware of that, I can relax it. So there's no tightness, nothing is being pulled or stretched or squashed. And when I start to feel that, you can feel, experience the relaxation happening. Everything is becoming nice and loose and free and more comfortable than when I started. I also realize that what I'm doing is letting go. That's a result of letting go. Comfort, ease. And I just go further up my body to my ankles now. And look at my ankles, how are you ankles? And they're a bit tight. So I'm just relaxing them. Just as like kindness towards that part of my body. And as soon as you have that attitude to your ankles, say, you do get feedback. And that feedback is important. And now you're mindful, now you're mindful again. Have they become more comfortable? 
You need to do some trial and error at first until you learn from the results the type of attitude which allows the ankles to be at ease. And it's well worth learning that. Because now my ankles are just, whew, they're just so comfy. They're actually much better than when I started. I can feel that. I've relaxed my ankles, but at the same time, I have strengthened this skill called letting go. And noticing just how that does lead to an increase in comfort, first on my body and then on my mind. So I go up from the ankles, up the, the calves of my legs. Nothing much going on there, but I check anyway. And as I go up, I always pause, even if there's nothing wrong there or everything is comfortable, just to make it more comfortable. To me, it's an easy thing to do. I feel my calves, and I imagine them expanding, loosening, being more free. Or sometimes I imagine them just soaking in warm water. Not hot, not cold, but just comfortable, warm. My whole lower legs. So they can truly relax and go to my knees. As I'm aware of my knees, I'm very fortunate. Is it fortunate or is it because of the skill of meditation? I'm not sure. But my knees are usually not a problem at all to me. But I'm aware of them. Don't quite understand how they work, but nevertheless, I imagine channels of energy opening up. I imagine nothing being blocked, nothing being squashed, nothing being stretched. And everything just in its good place, free, able to enjoy that relaxation. And any healing which is necessary, you allow it to happen. And my knees get really comfy again. I go past that up to my thighs. I know I usually do this just to get the strength of the mindfulness and kindness. So when I go up the torso of my body where all these very sensitive organs are, I can zap them all with kindfulness. But I just enjoy just doing this to even my legs and my thighs. Just giving us all this kindfulness, relaxing everything to the max and realizing that when all those inflammations, all those blockages are all just freed up, just how comfortable and healthy my legs feel. They're healing, energizing, recuperating. And then I get to the, my butt. When I get to my butt, there's always that tightness. 
the pressure on the cushion. But what I do here is make it even, so there's not only one part which is, which is uh, more intense than other parts of that feeling. Because then I know from experience that that feeling will totally disappear. After a while, the brain realizes that that's a feeling which is not dangerous. It's the best which can be done. So it just turns off from it. Which is another wonderful experience to know how when the feelings in the body are constant, they don't change, they disappear. It's another way of knowing how to let go. Don't get rid of things, you keep them stable. They disappear by themselves. And they go up to my waist. I usually do that stretching at this time. Get my back into a really nice position. I stretch and just get a, a quick release of endorphins, whatever they're called. It feels nice. And I'm not afraid of the pleasures of relaxation. Because I know it rests my body. It doesn't excite it. The pleasures which excite me, I realize they're dangerous. The pleasures which relax me, I know that they are permitted and very helpful. And I just check my back just to make sure that everything is in a good place. And it's just, I'm not sure, but this is just me. I always like to keep a straight back if I possibly can. It always feels the best for me. If you want to lean back, fine. And then I go back to the, the base of my torso and do a scan, a scan up my torso. I don't really consider it's important to know exactly what I'm watching, whether it's uh, intestine or whether it's a liver or kidney or whatever it is. I just scan up and if I come across anything which feels a little bit tight or hurting or painful, then I stop there. I'm not afraid. I just want to relax everything there. And imagine everything just loosening. Imagine nothing being protected or held tight. Allowing just good energies to come in and relax everything so much that healing is allowed. Aches and pains, stresses, wounds, whatever, have an opportunity of disappearing. It's amazing how they do that. I scan up my body, can't feel actually anything for me at this moment which is a problem. So I just scan up, just giving a, a general sap of kindness to all my body inside. All my intestines, stomach, lungs, 
all the blood vessels, everything. The general will for well-being, of kindness, not wanting to control or wanting to relax. When I get to the top of my torso, I can feel my shoulders. And this is a habit with me, I just tense up my shoulders, so now I'm going to totally relax them. Let them droop. So I'm holding nothing tight. And then I go, scan my attention down my arms, past my elbows to my hands. Adjusting the fingers in my hands so they're comfortable too. And I get to this position with my arms and hands, which is just my favorite. Just my hands feel comfortable, my arms feel balanced. Just after years, I realize that that's the position which you can see in the statue behind me of the Buddha sitting in meditation. Feels good. And then because my whole arms, fingers to shoulders are comfortable, I realize I don't need to move. I can maintain this pos posture comfortably. And then I go back up to my shoulders and my neck. That's another important thing. Don't let the head droop too far in front of you. You get a sore neck after a while. So I balance my head upon the neck. And as I'm balancing it, I'm feeling it. What feels the most comfy? And it's a comfort which is strong, which I can maintain without needing to move it later on. It's my meditation posture. I rediscover it every time. And then, last of all, to make what they call the segue, you know, from the body to the mind. I look at the muscles in my face, around the eyes, the nose, the mouth, and maybe the forehead. I can feel them. I'm mindful of them. And now I'm kind to them as well relaxing them. Just when I make the choice to relax those muscles, the body knows what to do next. And I can actually feel the muscles around my eyes get looser. It falls at ease. And of course you know as I know, those muscles get screwed up, tightened, stretched, squashed. A lot of times because of emotional world. So by relaxing those muscles, you're starting this wonderful process of relaxing the emotional world. So there's no stress 
in the emotional world, nothing pushing it, nothing pulling it, nothing squashing your emotions. They're all just free and open. And it feels so nice. And then lastly, I am aware of my whole body now. Just join everything up as best I can. I'm sitting now here in front of you as usual with a body which is really, really relaxed. And when I first started doing this, only a couple of years ago, you kind of discovered that when you are really relaxed, you can perceive the joy, a special pleasure of bodily relaxation. It's not of excitement. So everything is at ease. Here it comes. Feel this pleasure inside. And it's not just an indulgence, because when I notice this pleasure of relaxation, the level of relaxation gets even deeper. I'm more relaxed than a, mi a minute ago. What that also means is that you get healthier. What it also means is it becomes easier to understand how to relax your mind. Not by forcing it, not by striving, but by the opposite, letting go and relaxing. So now I go totally towards my mind, asking myself, Ajahn Brahm, how peaceful are you right now? Can you feel that peace? Be honest with it, don't just decide to be peaceful. Just how peaceful are you right now? Be honest. You're now looking at part of the mind. Now mind, may you be peaceful. How, what's, what causes that? <coughs> and this is one place where you find it's obvious that the past and the future are such a burden to you. Afterwards, you may have to deal with them. But in the meditation period, this is like a no past, no future zone. Not really wise to carry all those things into this zone of rest and relaxation. Leave them out. Give yourself permission not to bother with your past, not to worry about your future, just for the next half hour. Give yourself a break, a respite, a holiday from past and future. So all you've got left is what's happening right now. This moment, which will never come again. And you do find that you can do that. 
and that it's the best thing you can possibly do when you learn from the present rather than learn from the past. When you realize your future which you plan, your future is being made right now. So that encourages you to let go of this perception of future and past and to stay here in this present moment. It's already here. Just embrace it with kindness. The door of my heart is open to this moment. I'm not going to judge it. I'm not going to criticize it. I'm just going to know it with mindfulness and kindness. And it just usually happens, but I mention it anyway. The ones who are really in the present moment, I usually find all the words, and they just haven't got the time. They're not needed. So you tend to go into the silence of this moment. You're aware, perfectly aware, without assessing anything, giving anything a name, judging it, giving it a value. You just know. And because you are not complicating things with words and names and judgments, the awareness gets stronger, clearer, and more and more silent. And that's usually as far as I like leading the meditation. Things like the breath or loving-kindness, whatever the object you usually do, come up very easily from this point on. You just carry on to seeing what's happening now. Never choosing. Just being mindful and kind. And sometimes after the breath, delightful breath, these beautiful, amazing lights in the mind, even, who knows, a jhana. It just happens whether you like it or not. Just see how still you can be.
very close now to the end of this meditation period the last minute or so reflect how you feel what's this done to your body and to your mind and the benefits these are things you can know and the more you appreciate them and value them the deeper the meditation goes and the more you do I'm now going to ring the gong three times. When the gong does finish sounding for the third time, it's a signal to come out from the meditation. opportunity to teach. This is, thank you, this is some kindness, especially to people in other parts of Australia or the world. We have four questions here, the first from Italy, then Germany, then Brisbane, and then Taiwan. First question from Italy. Dear Ajahn Brahm, there's always music playing in my mind. What should I do during meditation? A skillful means is actually to see if you can see a few gaps between the music. Like when I am speaking, you can be aware of the gaps. Even in music, there are gaps. Once you start to see the gaps in the sound, then you find that the silence is so much more beautiful than any music. And what happens then is the music in your mind is not important anymore. Something else is more important, the silence. And the silence is always there to attend to. A few times I've deliberately gone to noisy places to meditate. And I think I mentioned to you a few weeks ago, one of those places was in Suwanabumi Airport. Just when you come out from the, uh, the customs check, out when people meet their friends and people waiting for them. I came out and they did ask, is it okay if I wait for an hour 
until another person at this conference was going to arrive. So I happily did. And just sitting down there meditating in the concourse, so many people coming and going, announcements being made on the, the PA system. And nevertheless, it wasn't that hard to create this bubble around me. In the bubble it was quiet, like in my cave. Outside was all the noise. But because I had this perception of a bubble, I was not affected by that noise as well, it was outside. The same if there's any music. You don't listen to the music, you hear it, but you don't listen to it. And it's actually outside of you. And after a while, even though it's just as noisy as anything, it vanishes. The mind doesn't perceive it anymore. You take away its importance, and then it goes. That's if there's music playing inside your mind. There's another part of your mind which is silent. Find that part of the mind which is silent. And just live there during the meditation. From Germany, dear Ajahn, after operations, also cancer, it is hard to find peace due to tension and discomfort. What can I do to find peace physically and mentally when meditating? First of all, you get the most comfortable posture you possibly can. It might even mean lying down. And it will never be totally comfortable. There will always be some aches and pains, some tightness, tension somewhere. But you know you've done your best. And there's no more that you can do. So then you let it be. If you can find your focus of attention in the present moment, really focus it in this moment. Yes, you've got some aches and pain, tiredness, whatever, but here it is. You're not trying to get rid of anything. You're not trying to get something. You're just being where you are, making peace, being kind, being gentle. And it's amazing what happens. Like, I don't teach this if I didn't know it myself and I've practiced and done it. And that was the experience which I often quote to others, was just having scrub typhus in the middle of a fever. The least energy I'd ever have. The whole body ached and was hot in northeast Thailand. And anyhow, in the hospital, Monk's ward, and anyhow, I could still just totally let go. It's possible. In fact, it was easier because staying where you are, just with an achy, hot, feverish body, was really unpleasant. So you let go. You let this moment be. And if you can do that, or like not do it, just make sure you don't interfere with things, you get into these amazing meditations. Really deep, very peaceful. Things which you would say was impossible if you didn't know that it was true and it was happening. And really go and bliss out in the middle of a fever. It can be done. But if you try and find something different, if you strive, if you do anything, it becomes impossible. You have to let this moment be. In this moment, silent and relaxed to the max, and I really mean the max. 
It can be done and it's worth it. Once you do that once, you won't be afraid of pain anymore. During meditation before I sleep, images appear out of nowhere in my mind as real as if my eyes were open. Beautiful landscape that only stay for two to, two to ten seconds and they fade. I read these may be limiters. They may be, if it only lasts for two or two seconds, it's nowhere near long enough. But if it's really during the meditation and some beautiful landscapes appear, then the advice is to focus on the most beautiful part of that landscape. Allow, you can't choose while this happens. I brainwash you into doing that now. You have that suggestion. Focus on the most beautiful part of the most beautiful part of the most beautiful part. And because you've received that instruction, if that really is close to the deep parts of meditation, your mind will be so sensitive that even the instructions of somebody you trust, they will come up and it will be automatic, subverbal. You will just incline towards the most beautiful part of those landscapes. And the most beautiful part of the most beautiful part of the most beautiful part. And then it will turn into real limiters. And those real limiters will stay, not for two to ten seconds, for long periods of time. You have an amazing time. From Taiwan, every time I meditate, I feel like I'm trying to escape from something, not really enjoy the meditation. Please tell me how to improve it. Sometimes it really depends on what you mean by escape. Because sometimes when people say, oh, you sit down meditating, you're just escaping from the difficulties of the world. I say, yeah, that's right. This is worthwhile escaping from some of the difficulties in this world. But it's the way you escape. Not many times people don't know how to escape. They just do something more and it just gets more and more complex. Real escapism is being so still, so kindful, that things disappear by themselves. You are right there, fully aware and even more fully aware, more happy. You may be sitting in a Suwanabumi Airport, one of the other places I remember doing this, in Hay Street, Mao, for a couple of hours, just on the concrete, and then just sitting there, and just the whole world disappears. You've escaped. But in a way which people don't realize that that is a way to escape. It's one of the teachings of the Buddha, and he said, I think Ananda was saying this, I think, he got it from the Buddha. Now the escape, you know, from this world, you know, through the first jhana. An escape from the first jhana is going into the second jhana. It's always going inwards and inwards and inwards. It's a beautiful idea. If you really want to escape, you don't go anywhere. You go in here, deeper, deeper, deeper into this moment. And that's where you find the escape. But anyway, trying to get rid of something is not the way. Trying to get rid of something gives that thing you're trying to get rid of more energy and it becomes stronger. So what you do is just stay put, stay here, and you go inwards. Lastly from Penang. During meditation, why did I feel my body very heavy and it was like losing my control of the whole body? Brilliant, that's what's supposed to happen. 
but the best part is that the cancer pain like went away during meditation period. Yes, that's what happens. First of all, as you get more and more peaceful in the meditation, as I said, your senses get far more enhanced. Your body is still the same weight, but it feels heavier. Its perception is starting to, to change around. And when it starts to feel heavy, usually the next thing it gets very heavy and then it vanishes. You can't feel it at all. It starts to disappear. And that's what meditation is supposed to do. You're trying to, or not trying to, it's the stages of meditation that the five senses vanish. Seeing, hearing, smell, taste, touch, turn off. And as they turn off, sometimes the sense of like uh, physical feeling gets very strong. Many times when people meditate, just these things happen to me as well, you feel like there's ants crawling all over you. There are no ants anywhere in the vicinity. It's just your skin gets really, really sensitive. It's like it's been amplified, all the senses. But then I know from experience that, yeah, that's a great sign. Just carry on meditating, let go a bit more, and the whole body will vanish, which is beautiful. And the cancer pain like went away during meditation period, yes. This is one of the reasons, I do get passionate about a few things. And I've just seen it too often that people who have cancers do some meditation in a really good way, just letting go, relaxing to the max, taking away all of the, the inflammations, that's one thing which somebody told me recently, and just getting so at ease that sort of healing can happen and cancer pains disappears and tumors vanish. It's actually miraculous. But you know, I'm a scientist, I've seen it. You've got to sort of uh, accept the evidence. And it's beautiful when that happens. So well done. Why not? Okay, so any questions from the floor? I get inspired, I had a nice meditation there, that's why I said thank you. Anyone, anything to say? Oh, you have over there, yes. Go on. Hi, Ajahn Brahm. Um, um, when I do meditation, sometimes I feel very painful on the forehead. I don't know what happened. Okay. Uh, the first uh, possibility, actually probability, when you do meditation, how do you do meditation? Do you watch the breath at the tip of the nose? Um, I try to focus on my stomach and breathing and focus on the inner breathe in and out, but just focus on the stomach. Okay. This best because that used to be a problem years and years and years ago. <clears throat> the first time I went to Malaysia to teach meditation, I couldn't believe it. They had a term in Malaysia called Samadhi Headache. 
And I said, what are you talking about? What are you doing? And they said every time they did meditation, they got a headache around here. And it was because they were watching the tip of the nose. And maybe, I'm not quite sure, the tummy, that was a, more rare. But what they were actually doing, they were closing their eyes, but if you'd open their eyes, what the mind was focusing on, their eyes were also looking at. So if it's the tip of the nose, for example, your eyes underneath the eyelids go cross-eyed. And if you hold that for 10 or 20 minutes, everyone will get headaches. It's just a sign of stress of trying too hard. It's a very simple solution. And as soon as I said, look, for goodness sake, stop watching the tip of the nose, even stop watching your tummy. Just be in this moment. Do that kindness, relax your body to the max. Present moment awareness, silence. Then your breath comes towards you. You don't watch the breath at any part of the body. You just know you're breathing in. You know you're breathing out. That's all you, it's required. You watch it at part of the body. The eyes tend to go there as well for some people. And that's where you get the headaches from. Yeah. I would try it. Yeah, feel because the Because I, I just believe that I had kind of um, head damage when I was in very in a depression and kind of oh, okay, yeah. very stressed and then I, yeah. I, I, I just thought that I had a <laughs> had a brain damage. <laughs> no. Look, even brain so. damage. There's a wonderful thing that people know the brain is plastic, which means it can heal. Which means it's wonderful when you see those things happening with people. They've got part of the brain which has been damaged or and then other parts take over. And so it's not brain damage, just relax more and don't try so hard. Ajahn Brahms, I was wondering, um, they say at moment of your death, because you're letting go of the body, that sometimes you achieve more wisdom, more see, more insights. And my question is, even after you die when you have no body, so you only have the mind, is it easier then to reach joy and happiness and jhanas? It should be. For many people it is. That's one of the reasons why that when many people have the near-death experiences and they come back to explain what it was like and how it felt, Many of those people actually describe a sense of beauty and peace and bliss. But what they do is they, they create a mind-made body. And that's you know, some of the fascinating things about the death experience. A good example we were talking about yesterday when we went to the hospice in Kalamanda. There was this one gentleman, he was a builder in Kalgoorlie. And he had a cancer. He hardly ever left Kalgoorlie, but he made the trip to see me in Bodhinyana Monastery to get some advice on dying. And so he received that advice. And then a few weeks later, he, he died. And his friend, a common friend, came to the monastery a few weeks after his death and said that he woke up in the middle of the night and 
know, he thought his wife was actually uh, nudging him in bed, but saw his wife was fast asleep. And he turned around, it was the ghost of this, his friend, you know, from Kalgoorlie, the builder who had died. And then he turned around to his wife and said, I forget what his name was, said, Paul is here, Paul is here. And of course, you know, because he was excited, when he turned around, the ghost had vanished. And stupidly, they got up in the house, they searched the whole house to try and find him. But he'd gone. But he said the weird part about it was this ghost, who he knew really well, a very good friend, he was wearing a polka dot bow tie and a suit. And he said, in my whole life, he was like an Australian builder, I've never seen him wearing a suit, not for anything. And a polka dot bow tie, that was really weird. So he came and asked me what's going on. And of course the answer is obvious. And I said, please, next couple of days, give your, uh, the widow a call. Just you know, out of kindness, how are you? You, know, you? you managing to cope okay, anything you need? And then, at the end of the conversation, please ask, was, what was he wearing in the coffin? And of course, you know what the wife answered. Oh, I put him in this suit I brought from years ago, which he refused to wear, and this bow tie I brought for him, which he didn't like. He couldn't, <laughs> he couldn't object when he was dead, so I decided to, to put him in that. So, you know, when you actually do pass away, you know, the clothes is sometimes what people see you in. If a ghost comes, and that happened to him. And that's nice and weird, but beautiful. But anyway, while you are in that death state, imagine just the heaviness of your body. And just the tightness and the ability to, you know, even for me, getting up quickly afterwards. And getting old now, and just sometimes it's not as easy as when you were just 12 years of age jumping up and down, falling over, never getting bruised. So that's what happens. Much more freedom of the body and easier to let it go. More joyful too. You have an opportunity, but a lot of times people get afraid when death because they're not quite sure what to do. That's why I often say many of the retreats which I teach, it's like, Death 101, a course on how to die properly and enjoy it, make the most of it. Okay, so if there are any more questions, we'll take them up here just afterwards. Now we can just uh, do the bowing and then we can actually end the formal part of today's meditation session. <laughs>